Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 294. First-time cruisers are always wondering what pitfalls they can avoid and what secrets they should be aware of to enhance their first cruise. After all, we all want our first cruise to not only be free of issues, but also a fantastic experience overall. To that point, I wanted to share five of my favorite tips and advice for someone who's new to Royal Caribbean that they should be aware of for their sailing. These are tips and tricks that I use on every single I go on, and I think you should too. Here we go. I know in the blogging and podcasting world, the phrase tips, tricks, secrets gets thrown around a lot. It's something that I think a lot of people use as a way to kind of get people to, you know, obviously click or listen to something because at the end of the day, we're all interested in finding those little nuances and tips that can help enhance our experience. This is true pretty much of any experience you go to. If you're going to a national park, if you're going to a city, you know, you always want to hear from other people like, hey, did you know you can go do this or try this way to get around that thing and save money, save time, whatever the case may be. And when it comes to Royal Caribbean cruises, there are definitely a lot of tips you can get for before you go on a cruise. And some of them you know, will save you lots of money, some will save you lots of time, some will just make your life easier, and, and maybe somewhere in between. And there's a lot of great tips that we talk about here on the podcast over on royalcaribbeanblog.com, and I got to thinking, hmm, you know... What are some of the ones that I use all the time? Like, What are some tips that really benefit me on almost pretty any cruise I go on? Because I feel like those are the most important ones to share. And I came up with five tips that I feel like I not only use a lot, I also think are really important for others to be aware of. Whether it's your first cruise, your eighth cruise, uh, I, I think these tips can really apply to a lot of different people. And I'm going to start with my first one, which is to cancel and rebook cruise planner purchases. And what I mean by that is if you know, after you book a cruise, if you know that you want to buy something like a drink package, an internet package, a shore excursion, something available to pre-purchase before your cruise, when it comes to booking it on Royal Caribbean's website, I always advocate booking it as soon as you know you want to book it. Not just adding it to your car and letting it sit there, but actually putting the money down and, and reserving it. And the reason is because Royal Caribbean's website allows you to cancel and rebook cruise planner purchases without any penalty. It's very easy to do. And uh, there's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, the prices can go up or they can go down. So if the price goes down, you can always cancel and rebook with no penalty. But if the price goes up, well, then you've already locked in the price. All too often, I get a question from somebody. It probably happens once a week. Somebody will tell me, hey, Matt, I was going to buy the drink package or I was going to buy this shore excursion or I was going to buy this cabana. And I went to go look at it today and the price went up, you know, but I added my card or is there anything I can do? When's the next sale? I'm like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> there's nothing you can do except hope that it'll happen. So what you want to do is reserve it ahead of time. And by reserving ahead of time, there again, there are three benefits to doing that. Number one, it locks in the price. So that way it'll never go up. It can only go down if there's a price decrease. That's number two right there. If there is a price decrease, you cancel and rebook. And number three, an X factor I really like is it allows you to budget accordingly. So you have your cruise coming up in six months from now, nine months from now. You buy the drink package today, you pay for the drink package today. And what I like about that is that helps break up the total cost of the cruise. I always hated that bill at the end of the cruise. In fact, I still, on the last day, not only is it bad enough I have to get off the ship, but I'm going to get that that little piece of paper outside my door, and it's going to list all the charges on there. And every cruise, I'm always like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh, please don't be big. Please don't be. It's, it's like playing um, press your luck. <laughs> you know, It's like no whammies, no whammies, stop on, you know, and it's like how big is the bill, right? The more you pre-book, the less you'll 
have to spend on that final bill. And to me, that is worthwhile. Being able to budget for a cruise makes the entire vacation far more affordable. So, you know, one month you buy the drink package, next month you buy your shore excursions, next month you book the hotel before the cruise, right? If you can break it up into different billing cycles, it's a lot easier to digest. So number one, you can always cancel and rebook for price shops and make sure you book it in advance. That's really the key. Number two, book two rooms instead of a larger room. I get this question all the time. Man, I'm traveling with a family of five, family of six, family of four, and we want to get a room that we can all stay in. What's our best option? It looks like there's only expensive rooms available. And boy, it's 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 a very common question because I think I know when we go to regular hotels on land, we certainly look at it that way. Okay, we've got a family of four. What rooms can we all fit into? It's very common. But on cruise, especially Royal Caribbean, I find more often than not, booking two smaller rooms, whether they're connecting or adjoining or just somewhat nearby, is a much better value and logistical solution to the problem. See, the problem is with Royal Caribbean's rooms is that typically the rooms that can accommodate more than four guests tend to be the suite accommodations. There are some exceptions. There are some family rooms that are of a lower category than suites, but they're few and far between. So really, you're looking at suites. And when you talk about suites, no matter which configuration you're talking about, the price is going to jump up considerably. So what I often recommend instead is to book two, two rooms, whether that's two balcony rooms, two inside rooms, two you know, royal promenade rooms, doesn't matter. But the point is that oftentimes it's a lot cheaper than booking one suite. Moreover, by booking two rooms, you also get separation. And I've said this before a number of times and that I love my kids, right? I've got two kids. They're wonderful. Love them a lot. But I really, really, really hate sleeping with them in the same room because my kids go to sleep much earlier than we do. My kids are easily distracted if we have a light on or the TV or my wife and I are talking. And as a result, it's just, you know, they, they stay up longer or we have to sit there playing the silent game, which is not cool also. So for those reasons, that's a really good reason to get two rooms. Also, by getting two rooms, you get two bathrooms. In many suites, you don't get two bathrooms. It's not always the case. But by getting two rooms, you get two full bathrooms which can be a really big deal if you have older kids who tend to spend a lot of time in the bathroom or maybe somebody who I'm not going to characterize or stereotype that only the you know teenagers spend all the time in the bathroom. There's plenty of adults who do that as well. But the bottom line is having two different rooms allows you to get ready uh, concurrently at the same time, which is really important, especially on when we're coming back from a shore excursion. Everyone's all hot and sweaty and sand and weird places. (laughs) And all you want to do is take a shower. You know that feeling? Well, the great thing about having two rooms is we can have two different people taking a shower at the same time rather than playing in the game of once we get on board the ship, okay, I'm going to take a shower first. No, you took a shower first the first. You know what I mean? You don't want to get into that. So that's number two. Number three, regardless of what you can legally do, everybody should get a passport. And this is a question that comes up all the time. Do I do I need to get a passport? I live in the United States. You know what's required of me? Can I get something else? You should get a passport book. Uh, it is worthwhile. I know it costs more money, but having a passport is really about your benefiting your travel future. It's an investment, quite frankly. And while you don't need a passport for U.S. residents who are sailing on closed loop cruises, that those are cruises that begin and end with the same port in the United States, you can cruise with a birth certificate and. Uh, another former state-issued ID. The bottom line is you want to get a passport. And obviously for other residents outside the U.S., that's a different issue. But the reason why you want to get outside of the, uh, you want to get a passport, I should say, 
is it makes traveling significantly easier and simpler. Having a passport on a cruise means not just an easier embarkation and disembarkation process, but most importantly, it protects you against an unexpected situation that can occur on a cruise. Like if you're flying out of the United States to meet a ship at the next available port, if you miss the scheduled port of embarkation, Having a passport makes it so much easier. If you're entering the U.S. at the end of a cruise, if you need to fly to the United States before the cruise ends because of medical, family, personal, or business emergencies, uh, having a passport means you go right to the airport. You don't have to. All you need is you pay for the ticket, obviously, and you're off to the races. And you know, let's. I mean, to be perfectly honest, look. Realistically speaking, how often does any of these scenarios occur? Very, very low. Most people probably cruise their entire lives and never run into a situation in which they would absolutely positively need a passport. But just like insurance in general, having a passport provides peace of mind. And let me put it this way. If you ever had to run into this kind of a situation where you needed to fly out of a country and you don't have a passport, you need to go to the nearest U.S. embassy or consulate in, in the foreign country to apply for a temporary visa. Now, not all embassies or consulates are located near the cruise port. And even if they are, <laughs> have you ever been to a uh, to an embassy? It is a exercise in futility because the entire process of making an appointment and having it processed is not quick. It's all like going to the deli section of your supermarket. It can take hours, if not days, to make it happen. And the example I always like to give is, if you ever pay attention, next time you visit Cozumel, and you look at the bottom of your uh, of your cruise compass, which is the daily newspaper on board the ship. Every port you visit, Royal Caribbean will always list where the nearest consulate or U.S. embassy is. And if you look at the nearest one for Cozumel, it is not in Cozumel. It is somewhere on the Mexican mainland. And one day I was like, I wondered, how far is it exactly? And I put it into Google Maps, and it was something like an eight-hour drive to get there. Eight hours! So again, passports, my friends, passports. I know it costs money. It's a bit of a hassle to fill out all the paperwork, but I'm telling you right now, it's well worth it. Even for kids, yes, it is worth it every single time. Get a passport. My next uh, favorite cruise tip is don't be afraid to ask a crew member. What I mean by that is don't suck it up. All too often, I, I'll, I'll see a comment or a post, and people be like, well, we went on you know, some Royal Caribbean ship. We had a great time, or we didn't have a great time, whatever the case may be. But you know, in, inevitably, there was an issue that came up, and nobody said anything about it. They kind of just went with it, right? Whether it was a food allergy, whether it was a maintenance issue, whether it was something that would just enhance their vacation, they just didn't stop to actually ask about it, but they certainly stopped to post a complaint about it online. And my advice is, and something I do all the time, is don't be afraid to ask a crew member for a way to improve your vacation. If there's a, if, let's start with food allergies. If there is a food allergy or a food preference that you have, speak up, ask the, ask the up. Don't assume what is on the menu is literally only what's available to eat. That's never the case, in fact. They, they, the, the dining room staff, whether we're talking about the dining room, whether we're talking about the Winjamer, whether we're talking about a specialty restaurant, they want to make your vacation better, and all you have to do is ask. And the example I always give is I like Indian food. I don't have a dietary restriction for it. I just like it a lot. And so every time we eat on a Royal Caribbean ship in the main dining room, I always ask the waiter, hey, I like Indian food. Is there a way I can get it every night served to me in addition to whatever's on the menu? And the answer is always, of course. They're happy to do that. If you have my, my father uh, always likes having with his breakfast a plate of sliced tomatoes, cucumbers, some olives, some onion, things of that nature. And, you know, basically talks to the head waiter. And every morning in the dining room, 
they have it ready for him. You just have to ask for these kinds of things, right? If there's a maintenance issue, definitely ask about that. If you want to have more towels, if you want to have ice in your room, ask your stateroom attendant. Most, I mean, the worst they're ever going to tell you is, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that, right? But in most cases, I think as long as your request is reasonable, man, they just really, really want to make your vacation better, and they're happy to do so. So if you run into an issue or a concern, it's not even an issue. Some people say, well, I don't want to be a bother. You're not being a bother. You want to, you're entitled to a good vacation, and they want you to have a great vacation. So talk to the, ask, you know, look, if it's not too much trouble, you know, can we get X, Y, or Z, or is it possible to do this instead of that? You know, I want to go to the sushi making class, but I want, you know, I got my kids. They're not going to do it. It's okay if they watch. These are all okay requests to make. And the worst thing they'll do is say, I'm sorry, sir or madam, it's not possible. Okay. You know, you tried at least. But make sure you make the effort to try. That's really important. My favorite, my last favorite cruise tip, something I've talked about a lot on this podcast, and is people still, I think, question it, which is to use a travel agent. I use one. I, I really firmly believe using a travel agent is absolutely worthwhile. When I first started using travel agents, I came into it with the, oh, well, can a travel agent save me money, right? Potentially, the answer is yes. Not always the case. But what travel agents are really good at is saving you time, making your life easier. And I often use the metaphor of going to court. And if you go to court for any reason, God forbid, you you probably want to have a lawyer with you. The reason why you want to have a lawyer with you is while you can represent yourself, a lawyer knows the ins and outs of the system. A lawyer will speak on your behalf and be able to probably do a much better job of getting you the best possible deal arrangement, whatever we're talking about over here. The same is kind of true of travel agents. Travel agents, first and foremost, are paid by the cruise line, not by you. So you should not be charged anything but for, for using a travel agent, right? Any good travel agent should not be charged charging you for their services. Second of all, they're going to help you not only during the booking process. I think all too often the mistake is people assume that, oh, a travel agent is only there to, you know, when you're booking the cruise. And after that, what's the difference? Well, I can book it on my own too. No, they're there throughout the process from the day you book all the way up to and onto your cruise ship. Because problems do occur. I remember I was on a cruise ship one time and there was some sort of, a, oh, the onboard credit. There was a billing issue and the onboard credit wasn't showing up. Now, if I was on my own, you know what I would have to do? I would have to get on the. I'd have to ask, go down to guest services, get on the phone to speak with Shoreside and sort it all out. Time wasted, right on my vacation. But there was an issue. I just I shot a quick. I think it was either a text message or an email to my traveler. Said, "Hey, we're on board. It's day two or three, whatever it was. And I don't have my my onboard credit yet." Sure enough. My travel agent took the time to figure it all out, and the next day, it was all taken care of. Meanwhile, I was up at the pool bar or doing whatever I was doing. I wasn't wasting my time on there. And there that's just one of many examples in which a travel agent has saved me time. Because a good travel agent is just like having a, a partner in the process. And I tell people, whether it's your first cruise you're planning or your 20th cruise, it does not matter. They make your life easier. And that's why I always advocate using a travel agent. I really believe it is a it is a huge benefit to you. And I know that in a lot of travel industry situations, booking with a travel agent is almost antiquated, not non-existent, right? When you're going to book an airfare, if you're going to book a hotel, rental car, you know, 20, 30 years ago, sure, we might use a travel agent, but these days there's no point. In fact, most people, the conventional wisdom in those situations is not to use an agent because you get lower discounts through the internet and booking directly, which I think is a little bit of marketing, uh, uh, you know, from the websites and not necessarily as true as it might have been. But that's a discussion for a different day. And when we're on a cruise, we can feel free to uh, grab a drink and we can discuss it. But the bottom line is when it comes to cruises, 
travel agents are still a vital source of great information. Beyond just booking stuff, they're also good, you know, because they've traveled themselves. They've been on these ships. They can offer advice whether it comes to shore excursions, best means of getting to a port, you know, everything in between. They, they, they're human beings too. They can help with uh, sharing their experiences and provide some guidance or just some suggestions along the way. So using a travel agent is definitely a really good thing. So there you go. Five of my favorite cruise tips. I'll say these are the only ones to, you know, that, that are important. But these are the ones that I think kind of come up all very often. And I, I feel like they're ones that if if I was planning a cruise, if it was my first time, or you're just checking out this podcast and you cruised before, I feel like these are the five that everybody should be doing. I cannot imagine Unless, of course, you have a room that, like, the only one was the book two rooms. Obviously, if you only have two people, you don't need to book two rooms. But (laughs) other than that, I really feel like all these other tips really apply to most people out there. And I hope that these will help you maybe save some money, save some time, or just generally enhance your cruise experience. All right, time for our listener questions, and we're going to start off with an email from Jose Pena, who is a loyal Royal Caribbean blog insider. Jose, thank you for your support. Jose writes, my wife and I want to know if there's any way to see the cruise planner without booking the cruise. We're curious to see about cruises in Japan and what Royal Caribbean excursions they offer to their port stops in Japan. We also want to go to a onsen, onsen, O-N-S-E-N in Japan. I have no idea what that is. Uh, I will point out that, uh, good question, Jose. You can technically, I've done this before, I haven't done it recently, Jose, but I don't see a reason why you couldn't. Here's what you do, Jose, because I know you use a travel agent. Uh, what I would do is say uh, to your travel agent, hey, can you place a hold, uh, a 24-hour hold, on a cruise to Japan? They will say, sure, absolutely, Jose, no problem at all. When they do so, ask the travel agent for the booking ID. By placing a hold, you do get a booking ID in it, with it, and by doing that, you can then go to the cruise planner and link it to your account. Obviously, if you don't book the cruise, it'll just disappear off your account. And if you do book the cruise, it'll stay there. But in the past, I've been able to do that little trick and be able to see everything in the cruise planner. Now, keep in mind, Jose, obviously, if you book this uh, cruise for you know more than a year out or something like that, you may not see a whole lot in there. But that's at least a starting point. The other thing you might consider, the only other option that I can think of is obviously to leverage somebody else who's already booked on a similar sailing and have them share screenshots or something like that. Uh, perhaps a Facebook group would be work for that. So what I, you might do, Jose, is go to a Facebook group. You know, search, go to Facebook, search for a Royal Caribbean ship that goes to Japan, like I think Quantum of the Seas, and you know, find a, a sailing that's coming up soon, and you know, join the group. Say, hey, I'm not on this sailing, but I was wondering if someone could share information about what shore excursions you're, you're seeing or things of that nature, and perhaps that can be another way to go about it. So those are two tips that I think might work out for you in there. And to that point, by the way, the other tip I said about the 24-hour hold is. You might even be better off placing a hold on a sailing that's a lot sooner just to be able to see a better, get a better sense of what's available. But uh, anyway, t- talking to travel agent, I think that's a, a decent start there. Uh, next, we have an email from Robert Jaworski. Writes, it's Robert from Sydney, Australia. Again, thanks to the blog. It's a great resource, and your enthusiasm is infectious and, and spurs me on to YOLO book my next cruise despite the bank balance. My wife Mira and I will have 161 crown and anchor points on our after our 21st of March cruise on Ovation of the Seas of the South Pacific. And we have another nine-night cruise booked on Ovation to New Zealand on October 20th for my birthday. So this will find us only five nights short of Diamond Plus. We're planning to do a couple seven-day back-to-back cruises out of Singapore in January 2020. 
so we'll achieve Diamond Plus. However, we're wondering if you think it's worth to try sneaking in a cruise like a three-day sampler in a suite ahead of time to be Diamond Plus by January. What are the benefits of Diamond Plus over Diamond, and can we use the service of the concierge for express departure for shore excursions if we're not staying in a suite? Also, if I travel solo to achieve Diamond Plus, does my wife automatically have the same status as myself? Uh, good questions all around. All right, so this is a good question, Robert. Personally, I don't think it's worth it. Getting a diamond is a big deal, and I think you, since you're already diamond, it's cool. Getting a diamond plus, what do you get access to? Well, uh, you get access to the, con- to the concierge lounge, but I think on Ovation there is no concierge lounge. I think it's just a sweet lounge. I could be wrong on that one, but um, if it's just a sweet lounge, then I don't think diamond plus gets in there. Diamond plus do get access to some special seats uh, in shows, reserve seats in some situations, like. As an example, when we were on Symphony of the Seas in the Aqua Theater, there was a reserve seating for Diamond Plus. It was Diamond Plus, Pinnacle, and I think Sweet Guest. And, you know, uh, you also get probably the biggest benefit are the two photos, uh, or not two, you just get one photo per person, so me and my wife, too, right? Two printed photos that you get, 8x10s, there. Um, Other than that, there's some other tertiary benefits, which I don't think are that important. Obviously, your embarkation process is sped up by one group. Uh, I would tell you it's not worth it, Robert. Now, let me put it this way. Now, if you found that deal on a solo cruise to get you over that hump and, you know, you want to take advantage, sure, go for it. But don't break the bank. Don't go out of your way. I, I think, in my opinion, once you get to Diamond, that's a really big deal. That's awesome. And the difference between Diamond and Diamond Plus is nice. I'm not going to, I'm not, please don't understand me thinking that I'm saying that like, oh, Diamond Plus is overrated and not worth it. Far from it. But I think the idea of booking a cruise purely against Diamond Plus is not necessarily worth it. Whereas if this were Emerald to Diamond, you can make a decent argument for that. Because going from Emerald to Diamond, now you have, you know, the the complimentary drinks and discounts. And there's a, a substantial jump in that regard. But from Diamond to Diamond Plus, I wouldn't break the bank. You found a great deal. Awesome. I mean, if you're looking for, if, if this is a situation in which you're asking me to encourage you to YOLO book it, sure, YOLO book it. Why not? It's not my money. <laughs> but I'll tell you that I don't know that I would go out of my way for it. So hopefully that makes sense. And to answer your question, yes, if you travel solo and you then, obviously, you'll have higher status than your wife, your wife does automatically move up. Everybody in your household achieves the highest status of whoever is in that household. So yes, Robert, uh, in your situation, your wife would as well. Classic examples, I've cruised more than my wife, so my status is higher, and she inherits my status as well. So no problems there at all, Robert. Thank you for the email. Let's move on to our next question. It is from Rich from New York. My wife and I just booked a December 2019 cruise on Oasis of the Seas out of Miami. We'll be traveling with our son, who will be 18 months at the time of sailing. Having listened to your Port Miami podcast twice, you answered many of the embarkation questions, but there is one remaining question I have, which is how to get to the port. We'll be flying into Fort Lauderdale the day before and staying in Miami. It appears most Uber, Lyfts, etc. do not have car seats, and we don't really want to bring ours along for the entire trip. The easiest way I see right now is to rent a car and car seat to travel from the airport to the port and return it again for the return trip. Do you have any other suggestions? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been in this situation before. In the U.S., it's unlike, you know, Cozumel. There's a lot more stringent with it. Uh, By far, renting a car with a car seat and paying the ridiculous fee they charge for it is still better than lugging the car seat all around with you. Rich, we've done both. Uh, We've rented the car seat. We've brought our own car seat. You can make the argument either way. Lugging your own car seat stinks, but it saves you a lot of money. Um, On the flip side, the renting a car seat is far more convenient, but, you know, they charge you like $20 a day, and they're usually pretty ratty, to be perfectly honest with you. But it satisfies the law, and it's a very short trip. To get from the airport to Miami, you know, we're talking about an hour at the most, so not a big deal. The only other thing I would look at is Uber has an option called Uber Family, 
I'm not sure it's in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. Uh, you should look into that. Um, it, there, I know this exists in New York City as an example, which are cars that do have a car seat. This is fine if you got one kid. you got multiple kids. I don't think they support this. But that would be the only other option I can think of that would be good. Obviously, the only other option, there is a third option, I should say, which, of course, if you go by bus somehow, then there's not an issue. That means some sort of a, you know, shuttle service of some kind because, of course, as you know, buses are not required to have car seats and you can get around that rule. I'm not sure I would go that route perfectly, to be perfectly honest, because I think the convenience factor of that is so far out of whack that it's just not worth it. So you're you're right, uh, but the, you could rent a car, rent the car seat, you pay what you know whatever it is, it's the cost of going on vacation, and and that's probably your your primary course of action. But I would look at Uber Family, just Google Uber Family and see if they have the service in Miami or Fort Lauderdale, whatever, um, that would be the ideal solution. But again, I'm not sure they exist in there. Rich also wants to know, we've cruised Royal Caribbean many times before, but this will be our first time with a child. Can you talk a little bit about the nursery hours, cost, staff training, and share any tips you have for traveling with toddlers? We're usually an interior cabin, but this cruise splurge for a junior suite. Mostly due to the extra space for the pack and play in the room and balcony space for the little one is napping. Can we request a crib or pack and play in the room prior to sailing? Yes, you can. Yes, you should. Uh, request one. Um, we've done some episodes about cruising with really young children. Rich, I would definitely recommend you check out that episode because we spent an entire episode, uh, Christy McClarty and I, talking about the nuances of, of cruising with young children. The nursery is your best friend, Rich. You definitely want to spend a lot of time in there. So what I would recommend doing, number one, on day one of your cruise, go to the nursery immediately. Uh, go there. I, they usually begin like open house around one o'clock or so. Get there as early as you can. Register your kid. Uh, there is an hourly charge for it. There is a daytime charge, which is a little less than the nighttime charge. And when you go to register, Rich, they're going to tell you, okay, here's the deal, sir. Uh, you can only register a certain amount of hours, usually like 16 or so, uh, up front. And then after like day two or day three, if there's availability, then you can book more. Don't worry about this, Rich. I've run into this situation so many times, and every single time, it never. nobody uses the nursery, unfortunately, which is really weird. But they do that to make sure that people like me don't go into the nursery and book up all the hours, which is fine. So what you want to do, Rich, is just put yourself down in the system. My advice, one of my favorite hacks or tips is, you know, you get. let's say they limit you to 16 hours on a seven-night cruise. Okay, so obviously you might want it for a little longer than the than what they have there. But even if you book two hours a day, right, which would bring you at 14 hours, right, you know in your mind you're going to be having the kid there longer than two hours, right? But by being in the system, you're guaranteeing a spot. And then when you go to show up or at the day of, you can call and be like, hey, I got a reservation for my kid from 8 to 10 p.m. Can we extend that to midnight? Almost every single, and not almost, every single time, the answer's always been yes. You just have to ask in a, you know that day. And then obviously after day two or day three, when they open up reservations to anybody or not, they reduce, they remove the limit, I should say, then you can go to town and readjust as, 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 accordingly. But I'll tell you, Rich, the nursery is the best money you'll ever spend because it allows your kid to have fun and play and, and nap and do all the things that little kids like to do and also frees you up to have time by yourself. So Rich, save your pennies. It is so worth it for you to use the nursery. Uh, which is all the questions. In terms of the ports of call we have to plan, uh, they're both Labadee and Cosmo, but aren't sure what to do in Falmouth. Any suggestions for excursions in Falmouth for a travel couple and small child? Also, can we use onboard credit in Labadee? You can't use onboard credit in Labadee. I mean, you're using your C-Pass card, Rich. So you can't, like, when you use onboard credit, you don't use it for a specific purchase. It's just a credit against your account, Rich. So whether you spend it at the nursery or you spend it at Labadee, it's the same difference. So don't worry too much about that. In terms of Falmouth, 
My best advice for you would be check out a place called the Hilton Rose Hall. It's all-inclusive. And we brought my oldest daughter when she was like six months old over there. And it was a lot of fun. It's the, there's a pool, there's a water park. Obviously, she's not going to, you're, you're, or, I forget if you have a, oh, your son, sorry. Your son's not going to take a huge advantage of all this stuff. But the facilities are great for a family day. And I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, you can, when I did it, I booked it through a third party resort for a day.com. I think it's now available through Royal Caribbean, but that'd be my, my recommendation for you. Ever says, we've cruised alert this season 2017, so we're familiar with this class of ship. I hear Oasis is scheduled for dry dock this year. What changes will we see? Rich, I don't know the answer to that question yet. Nobody does. Royal Caribbean has not announced what changes are coming to Oasis this season. You're absolutely right that there is going to be a dry dock that will be occurring uh, in the late summer, early fall of this year. As soon as I do have information, I'll post it at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So hopefully that answers your question there, Rich. Thank you for the good questions, by the way. I don't think we've answered some of those in a little bit of time, so that's even better. Next, we have an email from uh, Nuno Pinto writes, First, I want to thank you so much for the information you offer. My wife and I have decided to go on a cruise, and we decided to only go on a Royal Caribbean cruise. We should be booking in the next month or so, and you've helped so much in ways with your podcasts and videos. I always try to be part of your live streams, but sometimes the schedule doesn't allow for it, but we always watch the recorded video. I'm just finishing your latest podcast about how to cruise on a tight budget, which we will be doing for sure. One thing I'm concerned about was back in 2012, we went on our first and only cruise until now on a carnival cruise. And the thing that almost ruined our vacation for us was the large bill at the end. My question is, say I prepay for most of what I can, gratuities and all, all of course. If I purchase anything on board, I'll be expecting that at the end. But will there be anything else? Any other fees? Thank you so much for your time. Keep doing what you're doing. Great email. Maybe some of this we talked about, we hit upon earlier in this episode. But yes, you can pre-purchase quite a bit. You can pre-purchase your drink package, so you'll have no drinks. Prepay your gratuities. That's a big one. You can do that in advance. Um, you can, If you book directly with Royal Caribbean, you'll need to call them for that. If you book the travel agent, have your travel agent apply it for you. Pre-booking gratuities is a big one. Pre-book your shore excursions. Pre-book any specialty dining you're going to do. Pre-book your internet package, right? Voom, you want to do that. Spot, I mean... The really, if you pre-book as much as you can via the cruise planner, I'm really trying to think of what you could... I mean, theoretically, the answer would be you get charged nothing, right? I mean, the casino, not much you can do about that. That's out of pocket. Although, that's all cash anyway, so you're not going to get a room charge unless, of course, you charge it against your room, which is a bad idea because they charge you a fee for that. Anyway, we'll ignore that for a second. Souvenirs, that's the big one right there. Really, other just splurges, you know, things that you buy on board that you can't... that you did not pre-purchase for. Um, but... You can, I mean, I've, I've done, a, I think, I like to think I've done a pretty good job of adjusting for this in my time O-Cruising, and that is, you know, to pre-purchase as much as you can, it really makes a difference, and I'm, I'm with you, dude. I hate that bill at the end. So if you do everything, the, the gratuities are the big one. I think that's not obvious. If you can do that ahead of time, I really feel like that's going to save you a lot of time and money. So hopefully that answers your question there. Our next email is from Susan Waters. Writes, Hi, Matt. I've been listening to your podcast for a few years and I'm finally going on my first Royal Caribbean cruise on Anthem of the Seas. I have a few questions. We have the three-night dining package and also the bottomless galley brunch, which says it can be part of the dining package. Once I'm working, this reservation be modified to use our dining package or what I need to cancel a pre-cruise and hope that we can get a reservation for it once on board. Uh, I believe you'd have to cancel the galley brunch and then use it once on board. That's be my understanding. Just like, you know, you're booking a special reservation for a restaurant. Um... I'm surprised the dining experience cover the dining package covers the bottomless galley brunch, uh, but 
I guess if it says it on the fine print, that does. I've never tried doing it, so maybe that's part of the problem, Susan. But yeah, absolutely. If you want to do the bottomless galley brunch and you want to use your dining package, assuming it is co- does cover it, you should be able to book it on board. I'll tell you this, Susan. You'll have almost certainly no problem booking it on board, uh, especially if you do it on like on day one. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. So just make sure you take care of it on embarkation day. You should have no problem. Since it's the only reservation time we get for Ripcord, doesn't really work for us. What are the chances of getting a better time once on the ship? I'm guessing we should do the dining reservations first, then work on activity reservations. Is there a place that we can do both? Or do you recommend a certain place to go for ease of making dining choices than another for activities? Good question, Susan. So, for dining reservations, there is almost always, Susan, a spot on the ship to make like a, a clearinghouse for dining reservations. Usually, it's by the main dining room. I don't want Anthem there isn't a main dining room. But you'll usually see a sign like, hey, dining room reservations or especially dining reservations, this place at this time. That's a really good spot. Keep in mind, Susan, you can go to any specialty restaurant and they can book you any other restaurant for you. So if all else fails, you can go over to, you see Chops Girl. First place you see, great. Go to Chops. Not only can they book you Chops, they can book you any other specialty restaurant as well. So the system works interchangeably. So definitely get that done. And then for activity reservations, the desk, the activity desk that is back by the Flow Rider, which is right adjacent to the uh, Ripcord by iFly, can handle all that stuff. I believe their computer system is inter- interlinked as well. Guest services can also assist. It, to be perfectly honest, guest services can do all of this. The problem with guest services is the line may be kind of long. So if you get to on the sh- board the ship, Susan, and you see no line of guest services, head straight there because they can handle everything for you. If there is a line, you should then try to go one of the alternative things because it's not worth waiting in line for. There's other places that can help you there. But on embarkation day, Susan, look for a uh, something mentioned. Either either you'll see a, literally a sign on the ship or in the embarkation day little announcement planner thingy, little flyer you'll get when you check in. It may list like, oh, at this, you know, go to this location to make reservations, especially dining or activities. But again, the little office by where you check in for your record by iFly. That's where you can also make the adjustment. I think that, to your point, Susan, the fact you have a reservation is good. And usually, especially if you get there on day one, you should have no problem uh, making an adjustment. Getting some other times, perhaps, I think that should work out well for you. And you're right on the the button here with making sure that you book this in advance. We go on day one, rather. You you did the right thing by booking in advance, but you're going immediately to get on board to handle those things. Get them out of the way, and that way you get to enjoy the rest of your sailing. So even better. Love that. All right. Oh, Susan has one more question. Uh, I forgot to ask. We have a, gr- a guaranteed balcony. I printed the luggage tags. I don't really have any information on the space for the deck and cabin number are blank. I purchased clear luggage tag holders made to fit Royal Caribbean tags, but now I'm wondering if I shouldn't use them for this trip. Will someone need to write that information down on the tag on the tag before delivering the bags? Yes. Um, so a couple things, Susan. Number one, I'm not sure when you're going on your sailing. I, you did not give me a date. Perhaps you already left on your sailing. Uh, keep checking back. Because if they do make an assignment, you'll be good to go. Um, but yes, at the very least, they're going to have to write your stateroom number down. They're, you cannot just give them a blank luggage tag. It's not going to work that way. So I would say, yeah, forego the luggage tag holder. I mean, you could ser- theoretically uh, take the tags, write the write the room de- number down, and then put them in there. But e- even so, Susan, once you have a uh, room number, um, if your luggage tags don't reflect it, what I would do Instead, is forego the luggage tags that you print out all together, even though you may have already printed them. Then go to the port. When you get to the porters, tell the porters, oh, you know, gosh, I don't have any luggage tags, but here's my room number. They will whip one out uh, very quickly, 
attach it, you'll have no problem. The Logitech holders are nice. I use them, but I'll be perfectly honest, Susan. It's not a really, don't worry about it. It's not like your luggage is going to get really lost. I think the chances of the Logitech being ripped off are quite low, but it's a nice little strategy to use. I use them, like I said, but I'm also, I've done this a couple cruises in a row now where I've simply just showed up um, with uh, with no luggage tags and had the porter fix them there. I've never given it a second, a moment's, second moment's thought, moment's second thought, whatever that metaphor is. <laughs> I've never worried about it too much, either should you, so... There you go. All right, that's uh, all we got time for today. Thank you so much for joining us here. And of course, if you want to send me your emails, you can always do so by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hochberg, and we'll talk again soon.